This is Platicas, conversations with Ernesto Nieto. And now your host, president and founder of the National Hispanic Institute, Ernesto Nieto. Julio, growing up in Pennsylvania, can you give me just a little background on what life was like growing up in that small town? And then eventually, you make up your mind about going to Boston University. I'm just curious, emotions, some of the uh, issues, some of the tensions that might have come about. I'm going to ask Carla the same questions. What brought her to going to University of Chicago? You, what brought you to going to Boston University? And in particular, I'm interested in some of the emotions, some of the uh, issues, some of the tensions that might have come about when you decided you were going to leave home. So would you start first? Sure. Uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There's definitely, you feel the colonial history, the religious history in particular. Um, the state was established as a, as a haven for a lot of religious groups. So you definitely see a religious presence. So values and churches and all different types of Christian people live there. And definitely those value systems kind of affect you, but also make up a lot of the character. So one of the immediate relationships with Boston University was the fact that it was a Methodist and it had a Methodist tradition. And those were part of things that were important to me. Looking and of course, you, your parents are Methodist ministers. Yeah, my father and my uncle and my grandfather. Are. So the Methodist tradition is a very important thing for our family, not just for our faith, but I think the way we approach thought and dialogue um, is very, very Methodist in nature. So that that was a big part of it. And Pennsylvania is, is a big Methodist community. Um, I was I was influenced a lot early on. I think I, I realize now by the Mennonite community. I was in a private school, all of elementary school. So uh, again, the Christian influence, but also a lot of just uh, German cultural traditions and how German communities learn was important. Besides, uh, besides being Methodist ministers, what brought your parents to Lancaster? It was it was that my father had been he had come back to New York to do graduate school in New York City met my mom along the way in, in the church community, um, but while he was doing his masters in New York City he would commute on the weekends to Reading Pennsylvania to work with a lot of migrant workers and a lot of uh, folks who had moved either directly from Puerto Rico or who had left New York City and were now settling in Reading. Now, was this an attempt to cultivate a Protestant outlook? Was that part of the church vision? Church grew search. The church's intent? It definitely the church's intent, the spirit of Wesley. And I think my father in particular, he would definitely call himself an evangelist or a part of the evangelical tradition. I think the word probably has a different connotation in this era than it used to. But, you know, that whole movement of getting out there and kind of saving souls and recruiting people for, for Team Jesus. I mean, it's part of the not just what the church does on a day to day or the people who come on Sundays, but always actively looking for new let me, members. Let me turn to Carla. Carla, what what were the things that, as you listened to Julio, that were different about you growing up in Palatine or in Chicago, or at some time, I think in Houston? What were the conditions that were different for you? Well, I think the most apparent contrast to my upbringing is that Julio. Um, depicts a very intentional upbringing by his parents, whether they were um, religious reasons or academic reasons. They were, they, he happened to be in a place for a very intentional reason. I think I happened to be where I ended up because it just ended up being that way. It was uh, a little 
like coincidental that I ended up where I did. Um, and our pattern of migration, I guess, for my family was more based on who we knew in what area at what time. And that kind of m led us to be at different places at different times. I think I was very lucky to end up in the places that I did, but it wasn't at all intentional. It was, it was, moving to where we had family, moving where uh, work was available. It was more circumstantial. It was definitely more circumstantial. So is that what brought, were your parents with you in Palatine when you were growing up? No. Um, I, I, the decision to immigrate to the United States for me was, um, for Mexico. Mexico, yeah, was when I was three years old. Um, and that's when it was decided that I was to leave the family home in Mexico and come to the United States and settle in Houston. Um, my parents were in and out of the country at that point. Um, my father was a seasonal worker for most of his life in the United States, and um, they did, yeah, and they did live in in the United States for elongated periods of time, but never permanently. I don't think their intention was ever to be here permanently. Now, was was your the majority of your live young life spent in Palatine or no. in Houston? Uh, you could very much say half and half. I, I moved to um, to Houston when I was four, and um, I was there until I was 11. Okay. And then in uh, Chicago, in Palatine, until, um, until college. So it was very much like upbringing was half and half. Now, you were essentially living under the guidance and direction of your older sisters, it seems to me. Of my siblings, And your yeah. parents were back in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So you didn't really have day-to-day -day contact with your parents outside of telephone calls, letters, and things of that nature. Um, who was shaping your perspectives at home? It was very much um, my, my siblings, people that raised me, that were around me. Uh, I always say that my... I can pinpoint every part of my personality to one of my siblings. Everything about me, every skill that I know, every perspective is very much traceable to each of them. Whether it is an academic talent or a um, you know, art talent, anything like that, even, you know, different negative parts of my personality I can trace back to each and every one of them. And and at what point, Julio, do you begin to think of college? I mean, where it took on a a serious tone in your life? I think it, I would say at least in my high school, we were one of probably the early families, Latino families, where it wasn't a question, it wasn't an option. It was, you were, you were going to college. That value was put in. Well, both of your on. parents were college educated. Yeah, my mom did some some studies after high school in Guatemala and got some certifications. My dad did his uh, undergrad and then he did his master's. And so higher education was going to happen. I think for me, it became a matter of where and why. Um, thinking about and hearing Carla talk, in Lancaster, it is a college town. There's a few um, religious, state, uh, and private liberal arts colleges within the county. So you also just see the image of a college. So a lot of kids that I went to high school with, they ended up in college in Pennsylvania. So for me, part of it was just I wanted to get out of Pennsylvania. Was there? I'm just curious, and you and I have talked about this before. Was there any intent by your parents or maybe hope that you would end up also being a minister and therefore going to Boston University? I think that that probably uh, gave my, probably my mom some notion of 
comfort of letting me go there because she knew you well smile. it is method why, why do you smile well because when you see the university i mean it, the chapel's the center of the school they've got the liberal arts college to the right and then you've got the seminary to the left i mean the original buildings of the campus are church seminary liberal arts school so was was your education shared with your parents meaning this philosophical exchanges about life what you were seeing in modern day life compared to these did you come home and talk about your classes about what you were getting into how you were changing philosophical exchanges about life what you were seeing in modern day life compared to these two old fogies as most kids see their parents some i think a lot of it ended up being more debriefing the experience years later i don't but think not it, during not, not 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 no very limited very edited um or sometimes you just i i know for i didn't have the contact with my parents that i did now or when i was younger I mean, you just, I'd go sometimes two weeks. I wouldn't call my mom. You just, I would allow myself to get wrapped up in the college culture. Um, so a lot of it, I just wasn't really talking to them that often. Maybe emails here and there, but it's not the same. It's been now that, you know, when I was in Boston or my second year of college or three years in, but that's years after. The More break. reflective than anything. Right. Not actual, Absolutely. current at the time. Right. What, what about you, Carla? You decide, or you end up going to the University of Chicago. Um <clears throat> You were given a full ride, as I understand. What were your other options, and, and when did you begin to seriously consider life for you after high school? Well, I think I was very fortunate in having an, teachers that always made college for me a, a thing. I remember the first uh, the first thought I can have of or I can remember about having about college was in elementary. Um, one of my teachers had a poster of UT up on her wall. University because, of Texas. University of Texas, right. yes. Because she, in Chicago. No, in, in Houston, oh, in, in Houston, elementary okay. school. Yeah, and she had it up. Um, and I remember thinking I was going to go there. Like, I was in elementary school. I think it was third grade. Um, because of the type of student that I was, they always made it a given. It was never a I question. I don't understand what you mean by the type of student that you were. I was a very, I excelled in everything, in academically. Okay. Um, I was involved in everything. So okay. it, college was a given for me. At least that's the way my teachers placed it. Um, when I, re I remember starting to seriously think about college in eighth grade when um, paying for college became my the center of my College-related thoughts. You were also an immigrant. Yeah, I was. And did that come into play? It did. Um, I don't think I was um, fully aware of the implications of my um, status within the United States mm -hmm. until um, I was in high school. But I always knew it was going to be a factor. I think the difference between me and a lot of of children that face the same situation was that because of my grades, because of my family background, because of the way I look, I was never necessarily labeled as a student that had a questionable documentation but, issue. But you, know, you didn't grow up in a barrio setting in Houston. You grew up kind of in a suburb, didn't you? I wouldn't necessarily say that I, even if I was in the barrio, I was very um, sheltered. I only knew church and school growing up. That's it. That's all Is I was Catholic allowed to know. Church? Yes. Okay. I, I didn't leave my house uh, for anything other than school. Yeah, I was very much guarded by my siblings at all times. And um, I was a compliant child, I guess you could say that, in that I never pushed 
too much to rebel or exceed the expectations of my family. So following your history, you, you guys make the jump, or one of your sisters makes the jump to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Was that work-related? Uh, no, it was, uh, she ha- separated from her husband okay. and we moved to Chicago. She was leaving the area. Yes. Was her husband from Houston? Yes. Okay, why Chicago? Because my brother was up there. Okay, so once again, it's family connected, mm-hmm. right? And it's circumstantial. Yeah. So you go live with your brother, you go at least be there in the same community. Did you first go to Palatine? I mean, like upon getting there? Arrival, yeah, it was Palatine. <clears throat> okay, and you went to school there and you went next to Hoffman Estates. What was different about your Chicago suburb experience in Houston? Well, first of all, it was a complete sh- culture shock when we when we got there. I got there um, the beginning of uh, junior high, and um, I, I call it my cultural coma because um, being Latino was not a thing in Palatine. Um, there, it was definitely... Was it mostly white kids? Yeah, absolutely. Upper middle class um, students, they were, they were from um, professional working families. They had beautiful homes. And we happened to um, be in the sector of the working class that served that, that um, what's it called? That suburb. So everything from the service sector, which is like food courts, uh, restaurants, doing your nails, cleaners. Hourly kind of work, service-related work. Yeah. And I just happened to be lucky enough to go into a school district that had all the resources of an of a upper-middle-class suburb, but I was a working-class immigrant child. So, Julio, you go into Boston University. You arrive, I'm sure, for freshman student orientation. What were your initial impressions? Did you feel welcomed, comfortable? Did you look forward to the experience? Were you welcomed with open arms? What were your initial impressions of now college life? It was big. It, I, I mean, I, I, want, I didn't want a small school, although I, didn't, I don't think I realized how big it was. I mean, when I arrived and it's Commonwealth Avenue and it's just building after building after building, I quickly knew that, okay, you could get lost here really quickly. Did Just, you have the money, Julio? No, no. I mean, I, I, there were a couple times I was working three or four different jobs at one time. Odd, you know, universities got a lot of odd jobs, and especially in the city, there's always people who need helping with their mowing their lawn, uh, helping with their taxes, running errands, catering a, a party. Um, I, I used to do some an auto supply warehouse, and I used to pack shit. So you didn't arrive there with a wealth of resources. You were going to have to be very careful about how you spent your money, how you earned your money, and how you spent your time. Absolutely, absolutely. Tell me about the social atmosphere. Did you feel welcome, culturally understood, supported, or were you a person of color? Funny enough, and probably why I spent so much time there, uh, the chapel was definitely the most welcoming place because there, again— The people at the chapel? The people at the chapel. I ended up working— I ended up doing my work study job there. So I ended up working there and it was familiar work, church stuff, bulletins, folding newsletters, things that I'd been familiar with. Um, so, but that community really was a, a community where race and culture didn't really matter as much as your, your faith or maybe you even mean your that church environment, that church, not environment. necessarily the university. No, I, I think they want to pride themselves that that is the spirit of the university, but maybe some parts of it. So that was very welcoming. I think that 
it took me about a semester before I engaged myself in a lot of the Latino organizations. And a lot of it was, they seemed like they were either highly social um, or that there was an immediate division you saw. There was a, an organization that was more Southwest Western inclined, definitely more Mexican American. And then you had another organization, which was more big city, East coast, uh, very Caribbean in nature. Um, and so I was kind, kind of, of a separation. I was kind of put off immediately because um, it was almost as if you had to choose right away. And because of NHI, I already had friends in the West Coast and Southwest. So I had an inclination to want to make friends with those because through so, NHI. So let's I had put them. this into perspective. When you're talking about Latinos, you're not talking about a whole lot, are you? No, that was that what I'd, I would say was the biggest. I didn't expect culture shock. I thought I was familiar in big cities and I thought that my school environment was somewhat diverse. Um, and then I arrive and, you know, the culture shock is huge. When you realize that when you go from maybe being 40, 30% in a school to all of a sudden you're two or three, it's pretty obvious. And that, I, I think I handled it okay, but I didn't expect it. I didn't expect to be shocked by that. So Carla, when when you transition, you go to the University of Chicago and it's a very well recognized and respected institution worldwide. Um, did you expect to go there? Uh, yeah, I think that I... Was that like a church? I was talking to Julio, I guess. Was that like a university that was prominent in your thinking because somehow it was introduced to you in advance? Yeah, I think that um, it was always my goal to go to one of the top 10 schools in the country, primarily because well, I knew... Okay, well, you come from Mexico. Yeah. You're an immigrant. Uh-huh. You come from meager resources. You live with your sisters. You're not allowed to go out a lot. You're kept at home. You're a cuidada, as we called it. You go into a strange community called Palatine, where you are part of the servant class of that community. But University of Chicago... Okay, what is that? Just doesn't connect to me. Maybe community college. Why, why the University of Chicago? Well, like I said, the the question of college became very real with me when I was in middle school, and I came very quickly to the realization that if I didn't get into, if I wasn't a top student, and if I didn't get into the top schools in the country, I wasn't able to. I wasn't going to be able to afford going to college. Because of my resources. So you think that you analytically put this together? I, I think, yes, that I drew That's the conclusion. That's what you're claiming, Carla. That is what I'm claiming, okay. that I drew the conclusion that I at, needed. At, and, and, and junior high. In junior high, yeah, eighth grade. I can, I can tell you the exact moment I was walking out of my science class because we had just had well, a that's talk. pretty good. It's pretty good. Go ahead. Okay, and and yes, I'll I'll I'll, I'll make I'll make believe that I believe. I you. was always a like I was always a very observant child, and I I happened to have been raised around adults, so I was very comfortable with having adult, adult conversations, conversations of with my teachers. And I think that through the context that they gave me about going to school, because they didn't know about my situation, um, I was able to draw certain conclusions that perhaps other kids. You didn't. still haven't told me about University of okay. Chicago. So I uh, actually. Um, come into contact with you, Chicago, uh, through NHI and through my through my school. And now for a quick break. The National Hispanic Institute is an organization with a 37-year history of working to change the social narratives of our young Latinas and Latinos to help them envision a new America, a new Latino community 
a new direction and a different kind of culture. We want our young people to be inspired by who they are and see the asset value of our culture and these 800 million people in this vast amount of land that starts all the way in Canada and goes all the way to the tip of Argentina. Our hope for an alum is that, A, that they have the mindset of giving back to their community, that they want to help, they want to contribute, and B, is that they realize this throughout their entire lives and make leadership part of their overall journey throughout their whole life. The National Hispanic Institute has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. It has literally educated and re-educated an entire generation or two now of young Latinos and their allies around the country, around the world, to think about our community and think about our role in the community as being change agents and ultimately in advancing the cause and the needs of our community. Personally, the National Hispanic Institute has helped me reach goals and do things that I didn't think I was gonna be able to do before. And so what we did was create these learning experiences where young people could learn to be in charge of things. We just encourage people to go way beyond a career in life. We want to see them have a community calling. NHI is a place where I come and I have to learn how do I pass on values. And then the benefit of that self-belief that it's possible, things are possible for all of us and that we can contribute to the success of others. We look at the richness of our community, at its value, at its capacities, and we go from that point forward. We don't want our young people to look at themselves and their communities and look down. We want them to look up and be inspired. And now back to the show. Coming to contact with you, Chicago, uh, through NHI and through my, through my school. So let's stop for a moment. Uh -huh. So before University of Chicago, you attend an NHI-sponsored program. Yes, but right. even before NHI, Which I is was... very different than Julio, who had never... Well, you attended a high school program, but it, it seems like it really never really played that big of a role in your college choice. No, that's not true, actually. I, I learned about BU sophomore year. I knew some friends that were applying or visiting... But at NHI, I meet Jane Robinson at the fair. Oh, gotcha. And she actually kind of almost, and I think because my parents were there, she doubles down on the whole Methodist thing and actually informs us about a scholarship that was not printed that I would qualify for. So, Carla, you were different, okay? I was, I, in, in my mind, before NHI, I was going to Harvard, Yale, or Stanford. That that's was, all you knew? That's or was... all I wanted. Okay. I was going to all the, that was the schools that I was shooting for. Um, then enter Nick Lopez. Did your sisters understand that? No, absolutely not. They still who, don't. Who did, you, who did you relate this emotion to? Nobody, just myself. This was you internalizing mm -hmm. all this stuff and just kind of on your own saying, I'm going to go to one of these three schools. Yeah, and, and sometimes my teachers and counselors, if because it was their job to know my plans. Yeah, but the they were going, okay, you're a good girl. You ought yeah, to go yeah, there, yeah. you know, dream big. Yeah. But how did you know that you were going to go to a top school? I I knew there was Was that no, your dream or was that your demand of yourself? It was a demand of myself because okay. I knew I had very little other options given my situation. Okay. Um so enter Nick Lopez and his presentation of of recruitment as I was a freshman. And I think that's the first time I ever Who is heard this person? Nick Lopez? Oh, Nick Lopez. Nick Lopez. I heard Antoinette. Okay. No, Nick Pardon Lopez. Okay. He was a former staffer here at NHI. Yes. Uh, right. Used to work in the Chicago office. director. 
And uh, the at his presentation, when he said he graduated from the University of Chicago, was the first Correct. time that I ever heard of the University of Chicago. And so what was it like? That's a massive campus, and it sticks out like a sore thumb mm -hmm. in the south part of the city. Mm -hmm. um, that that chapel, that cathedral, whatever you want to call the it, is, is an amazing structure. And I have friends who have attended there, young and old. What was your first impression getting there as a student, freshman? How old were you, 17, 18? Yeah, just about. Um, I think that my attraction to U Chicago was just as much aesthetic than it was intellectual because I happen to be a person that enjoys um, literature of like a very um, renaissance, like uh, like Jane Austen, Emily Bronte type of period and like gothic type of period. And um, U Chicago is a neo-gothic like in appearance. So it was very much attractive in that way. And also intellectually, it was very made very clear to me that that was the kind of campus that you live in your head. And that's, I think, what I've been doing for my entire life. I think that the membership of, of, of a UChicago kid is acquired by being a snob. And if you're snobby about your mind, then you are very much, you know, all right there. So, so it's like you got admitted to the club. Um, not necessarily admitted to the club. It, I wasn't seeking necessarily membership. I was. No, I'm not talking about in that context. I'm saying that there's an air that if you gain admission, mm -hmm. it's just like if you gain admission to a Harvard or to a Yale, that means that you must be generally pretty special. Yeah, and I think that um, I was very much close to. Um, experiencing anything other than my intellectual exercise in that school. So I wasn't very much. Did you have access to financial resources? Yes, I did. From the school, from whatever? From the scholarship that I gained. They gave me a stipend for uh, like a live-in stipend. I had absolutely no issues with money when I was in school. No no financial issues. You None could go whatsoever. home whenever you wanted to. And so you didn't have to worry. You didn't have to do the two or three jobs that Julio had to do. No, uh, actually, having a job um, on campus for me was a um, a decision of time. I needed to keep something to keep me occupied in my last two years of college, and I was lucky enough to find a, a job that paid extremely well, um, and I really enjoyed. And you lived mostly on the campus. I lived on campus all four years. All four years, mm -hmm. and did you ever run into any kind of social situation where you felt demeaned or set apart? Or was University of Chicago pretty embracing? Or was it something maybe you just didn't notice? I think in twofold, I didn't necessarily notice it. And two, and second, I didn't put myself in the situations where I knew things like that would happen. Um, my friends and social circles were very much people like me from the area or um, Latina as well. And uh, I didn't seek a membership in places where I wouldn't feel comfortable. Were, were most of the students, and then I'm going to go over to Julio, were most, were most of the Latino students from the Chicago area or were they mostly from outside of Illinois? I, I think there was a good mix of both. I, I knew people from the same, I, 
I mean, and not a lot of them were around. So the what was the percentage was, of Latinos, as you recall? I think it was it was fourteen uh, percent of the school mm-hmm. was in Latino, the undergraduate. In the undergraduate, yes, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, uh, I I definitely remember seeing differences, stark differences between me and some of my peers. For example, a kid that lived right across the hall from me was a cabinet member's son. So let like, me ask both of you a question. I'm going to start with your you. To give me an answer, Julio. If you were starting all over again and you were sitting on the street corner and you're going to advise some NHI kids and parents about what they should prepare for and look forward to, that would be different than what you did, that would improve on what you did, what would be the best one, two, three piece of advice that you would give parents? Then I want to hear from I think environment, knowing knowing the the actual environment, uh, some degree the aesthetic, but you know what is it like? What does it feel like? What is the what is the street that the college is like? How big is it? Um, or how uh, small? Or how small? I mean those or things. Or how are, intimate? Exactly. I think like my wife went to Boston University too, and I think to this day she's probably a little let down in that I think she had a very you know, movie, the quad with the green meadow in the in the middle and kind of a small college feel. And, and BU's not like that. I mean, it's got a, a, a trolley going right down the middle of it. It's very integrated into the city. A lot it's like very the urban. Right. And I don't know that that's what she wanted. Once you're there, you know, you make friends and, and you connect. So I think knowing what it what it's like, um, because I do know Latino kids that they applied, they got in, and, and they they just couldn't deal with Boston. Was what's going to be you like living in an office building? To some degree, to some degree. I know the freshman dorm is a lot like Jester. I mean, it's like tiny little cubes and a, a bunch of freshmen, but it is because you know you got the subway right there. Uh, you go into these big towers. You're in a classroom. I mean, a lot of aspects of it look the same. Um, I learned to appreciate Boston. Not so much. I can't really talk too much about the campus. Um, I wish I had some more campus memories. I have some great ones about St. Edwards and Masters, and I can I can visually remember parts of the campus where I would read, where I drink my coffee, um, where I would meet with my professor. Um, that small feel, I think I, I missed out a little. So, bit what would that. you tell differently? What would you tell similarly to some kid thinking about college? In your case, there was some religious aspect to it because of a scholarship. Because of the orientation of your parents, I think because of the tradition of your family. I think the other one I would I would think about, or I would talk pr- with my own daughter is what's, even though you know you don't know really a lot when you're 17, 18, but what at least is the notion of the 10, 15 year plan? Um, because I think the biggest one is that there was no financial conversation really with my family. Um, Never. Not about okay, what is what are the economics of this 10 years out? Or when you graduate and you hit your 25 or when you hit 35 or, you know, how long are you going to ride this debt? How do you manage to ride this debt? That you conversation know, never no, took No, no. You just signed the paper and you and, they and you get to go to school. And then like a lot of kids I knew, you're there that first semester. Oh, man, I oh, they're going to kick me out of housing. And you just you're reacting. You don't you never have a plan. And then you look now and you look back and, you know, that's a finance. There were a financial decision. Those dinner made. discussions never took place. No. And they're not just yours because you get married and you have kids and th- that debt keeps going with you for 30 years. So um, they're big decisions. That's a huge one. Talk about the economics 
of the long-term economics and what that means um, and have a plan for it. It's not don't do it and don't just go where it's free, but have a plan for it. Have the conversation. Did you, was the final question to you was, was the challenge intellectually rigorous for you? Yes. And I, and I wanted that. And I, I was, that I was prepared for. Um, funny enough, I, I actually was between Boston University and University of Chicago. And one of the reasons I actually didn't <laughs> go to University of Chicago uh, is because I heard that not so much about the rigor, but about the way it was put to me is like students have discussed their lectures for fun. Like that's their form of leisure, which I can appreciate. Um, and I enjoy doing every now and then. But not something that I – that was an environment that I was like, okay, maybe that's a little too much. I want some of the fun, some of the college social aspect. Um, so, but I was ready for it. I wanted it, but not just that. So, Carla, you're known for being comfortable with curling up in the corner of a room and reading until you fall asleep and waking up and continuing your reading. Uh, it seems to me like that's perfectly fitted for you in terms of a university like North Chicago. Uh, what would you do differently? What would you tell any young woman, any young guy at 17 years of age who is looking at the possibility of college? In your case, yours was circumstantial. Yours was good luck, good fortune. The fact that you meet a Nick Lopez, the fact that you had the grades, the fact that you were admissible, and the fact that you got a package that gave you the money for sustainability, then you even got a job that added to that resource capacity. So I don't think you had the worry of whether I'm going to eat, not eat, pay my bills. That was not a, a, a point of contention as it was with Julio. So what would you tell a young person to look for and them considering a college? I would tell them that the biggest challenge of college is what happens after college. I think that a lot of people, especially people that grow up in my situation, think that college is the end-all, be-all of what makes them or breaks them. And I think that regardless of where they go to college, how that college experience pans out, they need to really understand that life continues after college. And um, that college is it's a, it's a checkbox. Like you, you, get, you get a college So degree. were you prepared for life after college? I don't think so. I think that I thought, like, I, I think that if I had adhered to what we call a second reality type of world, I would have been good to go. Um, I would have, you know, gone on to law school. I would have become a, like, private corporate lawyer and lived my life the way it was supposed to be. Um, and in I that reality. In that reality. And I would have been fine. And college would have gotten me what I needed. Um, but I think that since I chose differently um i was unprepared after college to to do more than just work does that make sense at all makes a lot of sense i think that the community that's listening to us needs to know that we have two different perspectives here and both of these young people work for the national hispanic institute uh they're major players in the work we do in our mission not only in the united states but globally and that they have a lot of good insight and advice to offer. And until the next time, this is Ernesto Nieto signing off. Platicas was recorded and produced at the National Hispanic Institute in Maxwell, Texas. For more information on the National Hispanic Institute, visit www.nationalhispanicinstitute.org.